Hello and welcome to Learning from Legends with me, Peter Switzer. And my guest this week is definitely a legend of the money world. It has to be a room full of extraordinarily intelligent people for my next guest, Mark Carnegie, not to be the smartest guy in the room. He's a big time investor that governments listen to. And so do huge market players. And in recent times, he's got right behind the future of cryptocurrencies and has um, praised the tech report from the Morrison government that he doubts whether any real policy reforms will follow out of it because it implies huge changes to how money will move around the world. He sees cryptocurrencies being a challenge for banks and central banks, and he believes one day a big bang linked to cryptocurrencies will change the money world forever. So let's see why, and let's see if you should be investing to make money out of Mark Carnegie's crypto crystal ball. Mark, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me, Peter. So let's just position you because you know, you've, you're, you're looking at um, a report from Senator Bragg. Um, it's called the, uh, well, there was a select committee report on Australia as a technology and financial centre, which is a, a big issue, particularly for people in business and it, I guess the investing community as well. But let's just position you at you first of all. So, you know, nowadays we call you a venture capitalist or something like that, but ultimately you, you came to Australian business as someone who was uh, could see uh, investment opportunities, you you found money and whatever. How, how do you describe yourself when people say to you, who is Mark Carnegie? I, I say I'm a broken market investor. I'm basically running into the burning house when other people are running out. So Indonesia, when people regarded that as a non-investable category, media in the early 90s in Australia, I did the first syndicated pub private equity deal. So I've tended to be places where other people aren't. Medical devices, which is another graveyard. I've found myself there over a long period of time when the pub industry essentially went insolvent because of the smoking ban and because a huge amount of leverage being left on it. That's the sort of person. So I'm looking for places when where other people aren't going. Yeah. So it's classic thinking outside the square and applying it to businesses, industries, sectors and whatever. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so lately, and I've been picking up various stories that you clearly are interested in something called cryptocurrency. And, yep. and correct me if, if I'm wrong, did it start with your interest in Bitcoin and then the interest grew as more and more cryptocurrencies came along? Yeah. I mean, look, I think Bitcoin, and I've said all along, is a sideshow for what's going on here in blockchain um, web 3.0, the metaverse, whatever you call it, yeah. Um, so I worry that people focus on this area and think about Bitcoin um, and think about trading cryptocurrencies. That was the way it got going, but it's really not the way it's taken hold now. And I think, as you sort of alluded to at the beginning, Senator Bragg sees broadly the same thing as me, which is the world's going to change as much as a consequence of this as it did um with the internet in the late 90s and Australia at the moment is just for whatever reasons to do with you know the legacy of the hermit kingdom during coronavirus or anything just regarding this all as just a bubble and you know beanie babies pokemon go or something like that not 
a huge, huge change in the world, in the way the world's organised. Okay. So I'm going to get to the, the importance of all that in a moment. Um, let's just ad address your initial interest in cryptocurrency because, as you alluded to, um, a lot of people just think this is a speculative a bubble that eventually will blow up and people will lose lots of money and all those sorts of things. But I am actually seeing hard heads, investors who were thinking that a year or two ago, now saying to me, well, you know, I at least can see Bitcoin as being a permanent um, um, asset that people will be prepared to uh invest or speculate in, and it probably will grow in time like a lot of other, um, you know, speculative assets that have limited supply. Do you agree with that kind of...? I, look, I mean, this probably is too much for your um, listeners to begin with in terms of beginning with Bitcoin, but my view about Bitcoin is it proved that these guys who are very, very clever people, the CryptoPunks and Hal Finney, had definitively solved what solved what is called the Byzantine generals problem, which was really the part of computer science that people had been trying to solve since 1982, which was to create a trustless, trusted network. So they'd done a whole lot of simulations about how you could rig the market, like the governments rig the world financial system and said, we don't want to participate in a rigged financial system like the governments had. And what Bitcoin was, was the first case where somebody proved that they'd actually solved the Byzantine generals problem. So it was a huge, huge important thing for there. And it got the benefit of being first. So it got hold before anything else. The problem was it was a limited use case. I mean, it proved the point, but it was a limited use case. So I've always worried about it being a sideline compared to Ethereum. But, and, and this is, as I say, probably too much, I can see now that it's essentially one renegade central bank governor away from mainstream adoption. If you're, you know, the Swedish central bank governor or the Belgian central bank governor or the Swiss central bank governor, and you look at what the Fed and the ECB are doing to the world financial system, yeah, you can't have any faith that any of those systems actually are real stores of value. You've got however much gold you've got and you're looking to diversify the foreign exchange reserves um, or the asset mix of your, your country's reserves. Bitcoin looks like a legitimate choice here. And you get you know, either the Belgian central bank governor or the um, Danish central bank governor going 5% Bitcoin, this whole thing is over, right? It has mainstream adoption and it's a legitimate reserve currency there and forever. So there's a massive, massive um, black swan risk. And yeah. I don't, if you're an objective analyst as somebody who's looking after foreign exchange reserves, you do that trade in a heartbeat in the same way as those smart hedge fund guys in America did it, Dalio, Tudor Jones, et cetera. So I, I wouldn't be shorted at the moment, Peter. Yeah, yeah. And that's my feeling, as I say, um, my colleague, Paul Rickard, you know, Paul started Comsec, one of the hardest men to convince to do anything new and innovative apart from Comsec. Uh, yeah. he, he came to me the other day and, and basically said, gee, I'm, I'm getting interested in um, 
cryptocurrencies. And, and he also, like you, has always said the, the future of this is around the blockchain uh, technology and what that means. Um, okay, I think we've, we've positioned you as someone who has a, an informed view on what cryptocurrencies mean. Why, why was it so significant that Senator Andrew Bragg um, in his report on Australian, Australia as a, a technology and financial centre, why was it important that Bitcoin or, sorry, uh, blockchain technology was a part of all that? Explain to us the future, as you said, incorporating blockchain technology and cryptocurrencies, if you like. Okay, so let's park Bitcoin, which, as I say, is yeah. a political game theory and just park that. Yeah. The, Think about there is $140 trillion a year traded on what is called the SWIFT network, which is essentially the payments arrangement that deals with how money moves around the world. Yeah. Mm, right. And essentially a casino that is completely rigged by the incumbent banks and the central banks of the world to... Um, leg over consumers everywhere. All right. Now, do they do it because they think they're doing it for the right reasons, mainly keeping economies going, employing people and not having major recessions and Great Depressions? Is that the no. reason why they do it? No. no. Monetary policy and all of those things are separate to this. This is purely and simply the plumbing of the global um, trade in money. Okay. If you were sitting there and saying, oh, yes, but they do that to stop money laundering and stuff like that, you wouldn't have $160 billion in US dollar, $100 notes circulating outside America completely and utterly without any sense of where those are. So the argument, which is always, oh, Bitcoin and crypto is used to money launder, the American government has $160 billion of, of $100 notes out there outside America that are used to money launder, yeah? So mm -hmm. it is very much the case of the pot calling the kettle black there. So none of it is to do with that, Peter. There are legitimate questions about these CBDCs, which are these central bank digital currencies and stuff like that, but that's a different component of this. This is just purely and simply, if you're trying to send money to your cousin or your aunt in another country, the money leaves your bank account, arrives somewhere else three days later. You get charged fees you don't understand, yeah, for reasons which you can't understand. Right. And as in crypto said, that's absolutely ridiculous. There's just a couple of entries um, in a computer file, cost you virtually nothing to do it, and therefore we can attack the $140 trillion and do it for a fraction of the cost. Okay, so so are you arguing then that the the, the system that currently does something? A great example: someone wants to transfer money to someone overseas. That that this is like a monopoly, and the charges are ridiculous, and the arguments that this has to be protected because of threats like money laundering and whatever is just basically bullshit. Is that what you're saying? Unequivocally. There are genuine questions about money laundering. I'm not pretending they're not. And there are genuine questions about monetary policy, and I'm not pretending they're not. But to be arguing that 
the SWIFT network does anything that can look after a small group of um, incumbents is ridiculous. This is purely and simply rotting by the um, the powerful. Yeah. So are you also saying that even if there were well-meaning policymakers around the world, they they wouldn't have the uh, the intestinal fortitude to take on the current system because it's just too, a too hard basket for most politicians, most central bankers? Yeah. I mean, there's a phrase that they have out there called regulatory capture, yeah, which is the regulators get captured by the industry, yeah? Mm. Ultimately, what you saw in the 2008 GFC was that the world was willing to turn upside down for 30,000 really rich people at the same time as they weren't willing to do anything about climate in 2008. They had the Copenhagen suburb at the same time as they had the GFC, and they looked after everybody who was in financial services by upending the world and did absolutely nothing about climate. If there was ever a better example of um, regulatory capture, you couldn't have seen it. And that was what enraged the crypto guys who started this whole thing. They just said, this is rigged for the rich and we're not going to cop it anymore. All right. So um, so how does the blockchain technology um improve on what we've currently got i think i think i know the answer but i want you to say it how does it improve on um what we've currently got and what's the likelihood over time just like climate um that that will eventually be accepted as the alternative well so i think that these things jump the shark yeah I think it is already seeing mainstream adoption. When the Nigerians tried to shut it down in Nigeria, um, 80% of remittances were on the blockchain um, within three months, despite them banning it. So I I see this is something that's going to work from the outside in. The, the use of crypto for you, Peter, in day-to-day existence is probably, you know, interesting but it's not going to change your life yeah you're going to be pissed about a hundred dollar fee on a three hundred dollar transfer to send money you know somewhere in the world but overall you'll cop it and keep going for these people in poor countries it's not like that at all this is absolutely life-changing from them so for me crypto moves from the outside in it moves from the marginal economies in the world to the mainstream and I don't think, given how efficient it is, it's, it is stoppable at this point. You watch China trying to shut it down, um, and truth be told, they've all picked up already. All the miners have moved to different countries. All of the guys who understand this area have moved to Singapore. The run is on. Yeah? And then we get to the core question here, which you have to, unfortunately, it's a head scratcher, but it is this question about, have these guys solved something really important when they've been able to create these trustless um, networks that are 100% trustless and trustworthy. That is, you know you can move the money around and you don't have to worry about somebody rotting it. Now, that's a day-to-day thing. You know, they're out, people are out trying to hack these systems all the time. So it's not that it's riskless. 
but there is huge improvement happening all the time in terms of the payment system. So I wouldn't be sitting there and saying it's 100% guaranteed, but I think in terms of the change, the technological change that's happening, it's really only mopping up operations at okay, this stage. So someone, someone like Matt Common at CBA, he must be looking at this as being a, a threat to the, the current operation of his organisation. Is that right? I th think certainly to the international. I mean, I take a rather extreme view about that, which is that there are broadly three blocks of people in my world. There are the people around Ethereum, this guy, Vitalik Buterin. There's two brothers who run a business called Stripe out of San Francisco, two Irish brothers. And there's the incumbent banking system, yeah? Mm. If you were sitting there and looking at that as a horse race, yeah, mm. you'd have two people who could, you know, be odds-on favourite for the Cox Plate and one horse with three legs, yeah? Yeah. And unfortunately, the incumbent bankers, yeah, have not a chance in this fight. They don't know what's going to hit them. And all of the discussions that you've seen with the ASX talking about blockchain, right, and going with a flawed system that's closed, not open, you know, mm -hmm. open, it really is somebody, you know, at the back of the sack race at the kids' school fair saying, yeah, 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 I'm running on the same race as you. It's just the coding talent around Ethereum and the coding talent around the guys at Stripe is completely and utterly different and they had carry none of the legacy issues none of the bureaucracy nothing i mean i'm sorry i'm sounding like an evangelist for this but <laughs> yeah i'm not used to you being so evangelistic about something as big as this I've, I've heard you go after certain businesses or industries or sectors but this is a pretty big issue to to take on board so so what what you're really saying then is that um Sometime down the down the track, you know the the blockchain technology is going to be seen as the, the only sensible way to say, for example, do a transaction with money, you know, across the country, across the world, or whatever. Because a, it'll be cheaper, and b, you're saying it's effectively safer. Yeah, at the moment, the other system's not safe. It's just insured. Yeah. They guaranteed the world financial system in 2008 when they saw it blow up, yeah? yeah? And that's what with this runaway monetary policy in America. I mean, the Fed's broken fiat currency. People just haven't seen it yet. They can't get their feet back underneath them, mate. All right. So um, how long has the banking system got, do you think? That's a good question. Isn't it that line about um, families go broke slowly then suddenly hmm. yeah we're still on slowly peter yeah that's that's very comforting to hear mark all right so what what impact does this uh te this technology and financial center report of uh, andrew bragg how significant is it well i think what it will be, i think it's going to get ignored i think the election cycle is going to completely and utterly crush it i think regulated i think asics broken as we all agree um as an organization as a result of all of the cultural clash that's gone on so i'm deeply deeply pessimistic about 
the capacity um, for Australia to actually engage with this. Yeah, You've, you're in a situation at the moment where you're six to 12 months be behind the rest of the world as a result of the Hermit Kingdom coronavirus stuff. The regulator can't properly engage with this. They're still trying to work out about Bitcoin, not about any of the other stuff. I think he wrote, you know, Bragg wrote a really, really good report. And it's going to be seen in time as a really interesting historical document about an, another example of Australia, you know, a, a small minority of people saying we should embrace this technology and the vast majority of people yawning and saying, I want to get back to the pub and focus on other things. So I'm deeply disappointed about my own view about the chance it gets implemented. I just can't see it happen. But it's a really good report and he says the right things. Well, Mark, after me listening to you, I'm really happy that my nearest pub is only about 200 metres from my home because that's exactly where I'll be going after after this. And, and, I, and, the, and the reason why I say that is the, the issues you're raising are so big I can understand why Australia would be saying, well, let's just wait to see what America does with this because if we if we move alone, we'll be called, was it, was it El Salvador was the first to move on, on Bitcoin? Yeah, but look at the guy. The, guy's made, the guy has made more than the national GDP of El Salvador on his Bitcoin trade in three months, mate, right? So you think about our budget after our corona intervention and you look at how Mr El Salvador's looking, right? Um, you know, he might be a crazy guy and he might have done it badly with the world financial system, but he's been proved to be right. Oh, look, undoubtedly, but I think you're you're also wise enough to realise that even, you know, let's assume you're right, and I know you don't practise being wrong very often, but let's assume you're right. There's, a, there's going to be a lot of powerful influences to try and, keep this tide, like this is a Canute-type issue, is that keep, keep the tide from coming in as long as they can. And, and you put at the centre of your argument the Fed and what the Fed's doing, until they, they realise that the game's up, they're going to keep fighting, aren't they? Yeah, but, I mean, the Americans have already, this is back to this geopolitical game theory, they're already ahead of us. Remember, they have Coinbase listed, Yeah. They've got a huge number of the coding talent people, so they're not reaching out for other people. And when China banned it, Powell said, we're not going to do that. So that was the beginning of the run, mate. So don't be thinking that... And also those Coinbase guys have got a really, really effective regulatory um, framework that they put up for the Americans to actually approve. And one of the states is going to do that, yeah? So you need to understand that there's two different parts of, you know, there's Yellen sitting there and saying that Tether is a problem and we want a CBDC and stuff like that. But America's way, way ahead of Australia at the moment. And then the second part that is important, and you can hear how complex this is, Peter, so recognise that. We're not in a fight with America. We're not in a fight with China. We're in a fight with one and only one country, and that is Singapore, right? In terms of regional centre for crypto, is it going to be for us. This is a two-hander. This is not an all-comers. None of the other markets. Hong Kong could have went out of, you know, went out of it when the Chinese took over. So forget that. The Japanese are too slow. were early, got hit a couple of times and have walked away from it. So in our time zone, it's 
Singapore versus Australia. And Singapore is way, way ahead of Australia at the moment, mate. Yeah, so they're way ahead of us, and I understand what you're saying is that effectively there's a competition between the pair of us, but is the real game changer when significant corporations start using a blockchain alternative to the current SWIFT or no? It's all over. Like it's if I took it, the issue at the moment is this is now a generational thing. So go back to the beginning of the internet when the kids knew how to make Netscape work on your phone or sorry, not on your phone at that stage. And they turned on Netscape and said, you just type something in, right? There was a generational change. There were still people saying, no, 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 the internet's rubbish. It's not going to change my life. But if you saw um, Netscape, you knew it was the game was on. Yeah. If you typed into that, the world had completely and utterly changed. If you've got a crypto account now, yeah, the speed and efficiency with which you do something just makes you say, I'll never go back the other way. The problem is take you an hour and a half or two hours to actually learn how to do it. The bank's going to, you know, question why the hell you're doing it along the way. But once you're on, you're on. Yeah. So I think this is retail led. This isn't um, incumbent led. And I think all of the incumbents are going to find it incredibly hard to find some way to make these things cross. Yeah. But, but Mark, why wouldn't the big corporations say, well, it's safe, it's cheaper, it goes to our bottom line, our shareholders would want us to do it. Why, why wouldn't they eventually make that decision? And that would be the, the biggest threat to the banking system. Well, I think, I think you can see a situation absolutely where um, banks, sorry, not banks, but let's say BHP or somebody else says, actually, we're going to transfer money around via crypto, mm-hmm. yeah, instead. Um, but I think that'll be only after when all individuals are doing it, yeah. Mm-hmm. I just think the the regulatory capture and the incumbency and all of that um, means that the asymmetry for big organisations is not the same as it is for individuals. The use case is better for the individuals to get going. All right. So I've got people listening here who are very long CBA and Macquarie. When, when do they get out, Mark? When do they I think well, I think Macquarie is different to the CBA because I think they're shrewd guys. They're going to find some way to actually start making money out of this. Yeah. So I don't put Macquarie in the same way. I think issue you know the businesses that are in trouble are all of those transfer and remittance businesses that are making money out of that i think mainstream banking you know it's got medium to long term um life in it because of what it does inherent you know in country rather than out country yeah Mm. all right so uh what are you hoping to see then from the australian government in the not too distant future because you've you've promised a great party at Bondi Icebergs if if um, if the measures associated with this uh, report uh, and uh, are passed before the end of this financial year. It's inconceivable to me that the level of regulatory accommodation for this category is done by Australia at the moment. It is just inconceivable. Yeah. So, so I think a guy, you know, a talented guy wrote a very, very intelligent report and if you could hold, race it, yeah, um, 
that would really, really help Australia's capacity to compete against Singapore as a regional financial services hub. I think the forces of the status quo are going to kill it and it'll be another thing like Wi-Fi where we invented it and then it went offshore. We saw an opportunity, we flubbed it, yeah? Because in the end, what people want to do is dig stuff out of the ground and export it or deal with an overinflated housing bubble. Okay, so it's effectively you're saying we're going to play follow the leader. Who who do you think is going to be the leader to game change all of this? I know you said it's going to start out and come in, retail people will use it. There's going to have to be probably a significant change that captures the media then captures everybody and everyone says, yeah, we're in a new world, the internet world, the the iPhone world or whatever. What's going to be the real game changer then? Well, I think the ones that could happen is Switzerland or Singapore could give a piece of proprietary crypto legislation, yeah, that says we're willing to change that differently. I think you've always got to think that Britain, with its lead in financial services, is a wild card as well. So there's a chance that it says actually having not liked this, um, we're going to change our mind on that because the Brits are really, really fast. I think there's a chance that that Coinbase stuff does get adopted in America, and that's going to be a sort of mainstream uh, kick for it, yeah? And then who's the renegade central bank governor? I don't know. And if you wanted to look at a 100 to 1 roughy, right, in in who's going to change this, I think there's a chance Costello goes 1% in the future fund. Hmm. Yeah, they'd, they'd be interesting. They'd be very interesting. Um, so I guess the, the last and important question for the, all the people who listen to us and didn't understand a word you actually said, Mark. The bottom line is if if what you're expecting to happen happens, and I suspect you're right, I don't know what the time frame is going to be, is Bitcoin going to be a good investment? I so, don't know, mate. One thing I'd say to people is if you're, you know, we've got a regulatory system that's a catastrophe at the moment in that sophisticated investors can get financial advice about how to invest in crypto and retail guys can't be advised by financial services people. So they're left in a complete and utter wild world. And as you know, Pete, the really important thing here is dollar cost averaging. You've got a volatile market like theirs, yeah? What's really, really important is you spread your bets over time, yeah? If you look at this thing goes up and down, there's a crypto winter in the future, undoubtedly the same as there was in the NASDAQ fast. It didn't change the fact that the world got changed by the internet, but you just got to be careful. So the one thing I urge anybody who's listening to this and think about crypto is, you know, spread your bets. If you've got, you know, and don't do more than 1% to 2% crypto in total as well. So just tiny, tiny bets once a month, once a quarter, Yeah and just prepare yourself for stomach-churning volatility. <laughs> you know, it's funny, as I was listening to you, I remember on the on my old Sky Business program, I interviewed, uh, I think, the president of the Cryptocurrency Association. And at the time, there was a, a publican at Woolloomooloo t- uh, taking Bitcoin for $127 a night in those days. See, I wonder if that publican's still in um, the pub business. He might own a couple more pubs, Peter. I'd say so. Uh, Mark, thanks for joining us. Thanks very much, Peter. And that was Mark Carnegie on the cryptocurrency world ahead. And he's actually created a cryptocurrency fund to put his money 
where his mouth is. If you want to know more about Mark Carnegie, you go to mhcarnegie.com. Thanks for joining us. I'll see you next week. Thank you.